European military contribution. And now her PhD is dealing more with feminist theory, post-colonial black feminist theory, citizenship, women's activism, um, and on the issue of the, the activism of Palestinian women from 48. And she would now present uh, this paper on this particular topic that of her PhD. Claiming marginal space, citizenship among Palestinian feminists in Israel. Okay, thank you. <laughs> First of all, thank you for having me. Um, I think it's great to have the opportunity to come to Palestine and present uh, research because we I think there's quite a lot of us in Europe who research Palestine and we <laughs> I always feel like I'm coming and I'm stealing stories and then I leave and I never come back and you know I never really get the chance to present in Palestine which I think is great. Um, I also think it's fantastic that you guys decided to work on citizenship and that we share curiosity about citizenship. Um, especially because I think we share uh, a curiosity that goes further than just citizenship as status but alternative meanings attached to citizenship and also from all kinds of involving all kinds of actors which are not normally considered by the mainstream literature which again I think is uh, great to be part of this. Um, my talk today revolves around a paper that is based on preliminary PhD research that took place uh, between the years 2011 and 12, but also uh, very recent fieldwork that I did in 2013 and 14. Um, overall, this paper is based on more than 100 in-depth interviews now, <laughs> because I'm trying to. Ah, oh, yeah, and then the solution will become. Bring the data together. So, okay. Il va plus nombreux, parce que tu vois que des femmes. Féministe. Tu vas couper, tu vas. So the empirical data is um, based on more than 100 in-depth uh, interviews, several organized and spontaneous focus groups, and findings which I received through participant observation all over the country. Um, so I start, um, on Saturday, 8th November 2014, a friend of mine informed me that Israeli police forces had killed a 22-year-old Palestinian youth, Kriya Hamdan, in his hometown, the Galilee village Kufakana, near Nazareth. Hamdan was shot in the chest after he fled from a police vehicle, which he had attacked with a knife as Israeli officers tried to arrest a family member. Nationwide shockwaves and protests among the Palestinian society followed rapidly, involving a general strike among Palestinians in Israel, announced by the Higher Arab Monitoring Committee and demonstrations all over the country. Researching issues of citizenship of Palestinians in Israel, to me, has meant keeping a watching brief over reactions towards towards incidents of state violence and other forms of violence towards Palestinians in Israel, which are by no means rare as 48 Palestinian citizens have been killed by state forces since October 2000. While the ongoing effects of the Nakba's displacement and expropriation are continuously experienced amongst Palestinians today, the Second Intifada constituted a watershed event, especially for members of the Third Nakba generation in Israel, including my friend Nizar. Born and raised in Israel and hardly ever discussing politics at home due to their parents' traumatic experiences of the brutal military regime until uh, 1966, 
Citizenship of Palestinians in Israel was profoundly questioned again when 13 Palestinian citizens, many of them youths, were killed by Israeli police officers in, in towns across the Galilee, and this is one of the villages actually in the picture. So Hamdan's killing was one among many previous incidents that remind Palestinians in Israel of their subordinate citizen status. It stirred up the contradictory and complex meanings attached to citizenship in Israel by both the state, the international community, and most importantly, Palestinians themselves. While Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu reacted with a public consideration of revoking citizenship of anyone calling for Israel's destruction, Western media increasingly lost an interest in emphasizing Hamdan's murder as the killing of a man holding Israeli citizenship, quite contrary to Palestinians killed carrying US or European citizenship, thereby declining to question the meaning of Israeli democracy. Meanwhile, I noticed the virtual abs absence excuse me, of the word citizen in the uh, indignant uh, online posts made by Nizar and other Palestinians in Israel, mostly on Facebook, who participated in the protests, which once again led me to rethink the value of researching the subject. Why look at citizenship if it may be irrelevant to the people holding it? At this juncture, I have no better rationale than to say that it is simply the fact of citizenship being there. Dominating the terrain of academic discourses on Israeli society and politics, pervading debates on Israel's domestic politics as well as dialogues with its foreign relations, particularly with international Western allies, whose political thinking has been organized across the notion of citizenship since the formation of classical Greek political culture, really. But it is also there when a Palestinian woman covers her passport at an international airport because she feels ashamed about it in front of other Arabs. It is there when a 21-year-old Bedouin woman demolishes her own home because the state would do so anyway, but at a cost of 30,000 shekels. It is there when a Palestinian woman feels at odds with herself when being sexually harassed by Palestinian men at a checkpoint and an IDF soldier offers the only poten potential assistance. It was there last week when Ayman Odeh led the joint uh, Arab-Jewish list during the Israeli uh, national elections and declared it would be correct to say that the Arab citizens of Israel are among the pioneers of civil resistance in the world. So citizenship remains contested, from the meanings which we attach to it, to how we experience it, to its political application with implications for the kind of society to which we aspire. This does not only include aspirations by the state, but also the citizen in question, including the unwanted citizen, the coerced, the colonized, as well as the unwelcomed or reluctant citizen. Perhaps rather controversially, my research is based on two central propositions. Firstly, the nature of citizenship regarding both theory and practice is marked by power discrepancies and discrimination along the lines of race, gender, class and physical ability in Israel, just as it is elsewhere. Secondly, based on a conceptualization of the Nakba not as a historical event, but as an ongoing process, the gendered class and racialized citizenship imposed on the Palestinian indigenous people in Israel cannot be conceived of as a mere byproduct of Zionism, but as a central means engendered by the settler colonialist logic of occupy, destroy in order to replace, which at its very heart is a gendered class and racialized logic that draws on and simultaneously provides a structure for the use of force and violence, which is again often gendered, against Palestinians, citizens or not. The aim of my paper today is not to provide yet another theorization um, of Palestinian women's uh, citizenship or in general citizenship in Israel, as I believe has been done uh, manifold, nor is it to try to examine Palestinian women's citizenship as a status in Israel. 
Instead, I aim to explore Palestinian feminists' complex and contradictory experiences often dealings with a racialized and gendered exclusion from a citizenship that is based on their colonization and which constitutes them as subordinates, if not the inner enemy, and yet upholds a promise of inclusion, which they continue to fall back on. Uh, judging the narratives collected here, it is an exclusion perceptible even when drawing on the most basic meaning of citizenship, simply as membership of a community. It was one of the most basic uh, definitions I could find. I think it's by Ruth Lister, who wrote a feminist... Uh, Again, please, the quotation. It's a member, just membership of a community oh, as okay, a definition yeah, yeah. of what citizenship okay. would be. Um, drawing on an alternative body of terminology, the, uh, these women resist the state's attempt to normalize their inferiority as citizens and human beings, silence their hist historical memory and claims for their rights as an indigenous people, and to democratize their colonization. Uh, a quick paper summary. Um, working from the framework of Israel as a settler colonial regime, my paper today argues that Palestinian women activists, many of whom identify as feminists or supporters of the feminist project in Israel, practice and perceive citizenship as a strategy of resistance and a tool for realizing their personal and political interests. More specifically, <laughs> more specifically, it suggests that in the context of Palestinian women's citizenship in Israel, these practices and perceptions demonstrate the contentious nature of citizenship as an individual and collective claim on and struggle for rights, including the right to subjectivity, duties and opportunities in an environment marked by various intersectional categories of discrimination. Drawing on black feminist theory, particularly on intersectional theory by Kimberly Crenshaw and Bell Hook's theorization of marginal space, this study instigates a departure from existing discourses on Palestinian citizenship in Israel by closely engaging with Palestinian women's very own conceptualizations of citizenship within and outside of the Israeli nation-state setting. These revolve not only around the gendered and racialized nature of the marginal citizenship that Israel offers to Palestinian women, but also the conscious choice of women activists to develop this marginality as a space um, of radical openness and political opportunity that decenters hegemonic concepts of citizenship and contests the very boundaries of what has been established as the center itself. The acts of citizenship examined here include both real and imagined notions of citizenship and include practices that aim to contest gendered, racialized and colonial hegemonic systems. Depending on the positioning of the individual woman, these systems may include frameworks such as the nuclear and extended family, a specific, for instance, religious, ethnic or political community, the nation and the state. While these author sometimes authoritarian systems often reinforce each other's uh, discrimination and domination of Palestinian women, it will be demonstrated here that feminists frequently draw upon a specific system to resist oppressive forces produced by another. Um, a short background, but I will keep it really, really short because I think we are familiar with most of the facts. Um, Israel constitutes a setting in which citizenship is obviously subject to various contradictory forces and in which inequality among citizen groups takes on many forms along the lines of gender, race, religion, ethnicity, uh, class, but also physical ability. Palestinian citizens in Israel, who currently constitute about 20% of Israel's total population, are not officially recognized as a national minority in Israel's basic laws. Factors such as Israel's self-definition as a Jewish and democratic state and its basic laws in the absence of a written constitution that explicitly guarantees the right to equality for Palestinian citizens 
allow the government to carry out an arbitrary policy of what has been called reasonable discrimination against some of its citizens. This alienation and marginalization of Palestinian citizens in Israel who are connected to a nation which stretches across two or more states yet remain trapped within their homeland has led to their depiction as a trapped minority. Any examination of today's disc discrimination faced by Palestinians in Israel, such as racialized policies in the fields of education, housing, employment, and political participation, needs to take into account the historical structures of Israel's emergence as a settler colonial state that used forceful dispossession and military rule against indigenous people as a central means of nation-state building. Today, these structures are largely sustained by Israel's comprehensive military uh, industrial complex and the central role played by institutionalized religion. Especially, the latter plays significantly into women's everyday lives due to its paternalistic, if not patriarchal, nature. For instance, uh, the existence of two overlapping and sometimes competing family court systems, civil and religious, which not uncommonly act to the detriment of women. Despite the fact that Israel has some of uh, the most progressive and forward-thinking legislative equality measures to guarantee fair representation of women in the civil service and on boards of directors of government, for example, Palestinian women do not receive the full benefits of such protections, if at all. Instead, they face the severest consequences of Israel's differential treatment of its citizens in many fold areas, including protection against violence, political underrepresentation and participation, employment, education, health and social benefits. Um, the Palestinian women who identify as feminists or support the feminist project included in the studies are not a monolithic group. I really want to emphasize this. They belong to and identify uh, with various religious, ethnic, sexual and political communities, but also with a lot of different uh, feminist ideologies. So they're not all just feminists. They have very, very different uh, points of views about this. And they do differ a lot in class and educational backgrounds. Based on their memberships in various distinct subgroups, often marked by patently patriarchal structures, they face what has been dubbed compound discrimination. Conver I, I'm not a real fan of this expression, I'm more, more, I believe more in intersectional uh, discrimination, converging in various forms of differential treatment in an environment in which the status of women oftentimes serves the purpose of collective self-identification and the marking of social boundaries. Now, marginal space, um, this paper considers Palestinian feminists' political, intellectual and everyday lives as located at the margin of various real and imagined communities, institutions and localities. Drawing on, as I said, black feminist theory, and in this case, Bell Hooks' theorization of marginal space, my research demonstrates how Palestinian feminists in Israel understand this margin as much more than a site of deprivation imposed by oppressive structures, and this is something that is, a lot has been written about this. But in contrast to this, marginal space, as it is defined here, refers to this marginality as an opportunity to produce a counter-hegemonic discourse expressed verbally in habits of being and in the way one lives. It enables women to reduce downpressers and colonizers. Overall, there is a definite distinction between that marginality which is imposed upon Palestinian women by oppressive structures and the marginality they choose as a site of resistance that is holding on to their identity as Palestinian and women and sometimes uh, Muslim or Bedouin or you name it, communist, that is holding on to their identity as Palestinian and as I said, all kinds of different categories as well. Yeah. So um, this polit political awareness is not always easy 
uh, and it involves a struggle on the personal, community and national level. On the one hand, marginal space thereby has the ability to create a space of radical openness and political possibility in which to build not only communities of resistance but also enable political renewal across the boundaries of various othering categories such as race, gender and class. On the other hand, it also raises the question of what it means to struggle to maintain one's marginal identity even as one works, produces and lives at the center, the place where power resides, which is, I mean, we're looking at 48, so it's, it's a really big topic. Um, Palestinian feminists in Israel individually and collectively choose not to surrender as part of moving into the center, but rather to hold on to the margin as a radical nourishing and creative space from which to claim the right to subjectivity and from which to imagine alternatives and new political uh, worlds. This group of women not only threats the binary hierarchy of center and margin, but also decenters the oppressive hegemonic power that produces and reproduces difference as a key strategy to create and maintain modes of, modes of social and spatial division. It is only from this location that Palestinian women can construct and discuss alternative and imagined concepts of citizenship and moreover practice them in Israel. Now the question is, is there citizenship and if so, how is it practiced by Palestinian feminists? So there were three key findings which quickly cropped up during the first couple of weeks really of my fieldwork. First, most of my interviews had very clear and defined concepts of citizenship um, in, a uh, in a general context which were usually linked to very liberal individualist Western model models based on the citizen as the sovereign and autonom autonomous being, equal rights and duties in a liberal democratic system. Second, in the specific context of Israel, it was pointed out again and again that, that there is no citizenship at present that could be compared to this ideal notion one that is based on an equal relationship between the state and all of its citizens. Third and most revealing, the woman told me that based on the current political and legal system in Israel and the persistent occupation of Palestine, they believed that there was no possibility of Palestinians to become equal citizens in the state of Israel. In other words, my conversations reached a point when the woman clearly established that in the context of Palestinian women citizens in Israel, there is no remote or potential possibility of being a citizen in the way an ideal citizen is envisioned by both the state on the one hand and the woman considered in this research on the other. Needless to say, they are completely different ideals. Uh, Ruba, for example, a young businesswoman in the process of emigrating Israel, summed the situation, which was described by many, neatly up as it's physically impossible here for us to be citizens. Consequently, my research partners and I ended up having two parallel conversations. We discussed the experiences of citizenship in Israel as imposed by the state and as a sideline talked about the imaginations of an ideal citizenship. The latter conversation was often linked to their own behavior and norms as political agents. While my original research project aimed to explore women's practices of citizenship in Israel, it was only after I fully reviewed my completed set of data that I realized the challenge of identifying or classifying my participants' political activities in Israel as practices of citizenship, and if so, which kind of citizenship? Was the widow of a fallen Bedouin soldier practicing dissident or lawyer citizenship when she illegally claimed widow allowance, even though she had been married? Was a Palestinian woman practicing, practicing dissident or lawyer citizenship by giving up her Israeli ID and leaving her land, her homeland, in order to live more freely as a Palestinian? Was she a dissident or lawyer citizen by keeping it? Who was I to classify those actions? 
And most importantly, who cares about what kind of citizenship it was, or in fact whether it was citizenship at all, if it meant that women acted upon their own will, resisting whatever type of oppression was relevant to their individual personal struggle. Despite of the complex nature of citizenship of Palestinian women in Israel, I was surprised that all of the women involved in my research so far uh, welcomed my project and they welcomed a discussion about citizenship as a subject and a large number of them underlined the importance of it. Nevertheless, I should state that various interviewees emphasized and explained clearly to me in the, that in their context I cannot talk or write about citizenship as citizenship, <laughs> that, that given the settler colonial context of Palestinian citizenship in Israel, the citizenship that I was trying to examine had to be defined elsewhere, elsewhere being somewhere outside of the liberal Western European frameworks on the one hand, and somewhere outside of, the, of academic and political Zionist discourses on the other. The women underlined time and again that the history and contemporary experiences, experiences of land confiscation, violence, forced displacement, genocide and dispossession produced a permanently felt and lived instability, lack and threat of losing their physical and emotional security and well-being, as well as a clear awareness of one's exclusion from the hegemonic political system that was imposed on them as subjects. Um, one quote that represents this type of narrative is this one, where a woman said, I came from Tira, and that's in the triangle. So when Israel was established, that town wasn't even part of Israel. Nobody asked us if we want the citizenship. If you ask me, we're doing Israel a huge favor that we have the citizenship. They stole a lot of land from us. I think I did them a big favor, a huge favor. It's so, it's to hide their ugliness and racism. It's to say, here we are, we are a democratic state and we gave you the citizenship. And many Israelis and even the Knesset members, they always have this thing of saying, look how we provide you with all of this welfare. Go and see how they would treat you in Jordan, Lebanon or Syria or even the West Bank and Gaza. They don't have pensions and health insurance. So shut your mouth and don't complain. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I... <laughs> But she refers to this very mainstream, thing, yeah. established, I think it's very... And, you know, it's and if you don't use it in this form, and in this paragraph, use it in a different way. It's like, okay, you know, you have no 13 guys in the There was definitely a lot of sarcasm that I came across, mm -hmm. and uh, I'll, I'll talk about this later. Um, so the constantly present fear and threat of replacement and of revocation of their citizenship and thus their right to live on their homeland is of fundamental significance and the principal reason why these narratives cannot be explained within the common theoretical citizenship frameworks. But there's also a significant loss experienced, sometimes as a lack of what should have been, what should have belonged to them, as well as what they should have belonged to. It was also very common for women to use tags or buzzwords to describe their citizenship in Israel. For example, citizenship as a trap, 
as a camouflage, as a cover, as a game, or a favor to Israel. Um, this was very, very common. Even though in almost all of the cases, the woman made a clear distinction between their Israeli citizenship as simply a paper with which they did in no sense identify with, and an awareness of the contradictory meanings attached to this paper, including both practical values and emotional burdens that this paper simultaneously entailed. Many times these complex meanings were further uh, complicated when exploring women's daily dealings around citizenship in Israel, such as how they identify themselves in specific settings, whether and how they participate in conventional politics like elections, how they claim social rights and benefits, or their relationships to Israelis and Palestinians who do not, uh, to Israelis and Palestinians who do not carry an Israeli citizenship. Um, from the outside, the woman ascribed a binary and contradictory character to citizenship. It is a piece of paper produced by the state with which they have uh, no good and sometimes no relationship at all. And they were not keen on having one in the future. In fact, they rejected it. Uh, in marked contrast, however, stood a practical relationship or dealing with the paper that is exercised on a daily level. Nevertheless, both meanings ascribed to citizenship by the woman exist in parallel and are real. In fact, the more the woman emphasized that as a piece of paper the Israeli citizenship meant nothing, the clearer became the gravitas of the opposite. The plus attached to a paper plus carries the binary meaning of benefits and burdens. The benefits were described as sub substantial, as they comprised the ability for women to live on their homeland, and in some cases hometown and homes, so houses, claim certain rights as citizens and women, and, and, a significant, and significant freedom of movement. Especially the ability to remain on their homeland, so the women explained, played a central role in their ability to live their identity as Palestinians. Concurrently, PLUS carried a heavy weight as a burden and reminder of the Nakba, a crucial barrier between themselves and other Arabs, and Palestinians, of course. Most importantly, it had a significant impact on the relationship with other Palestinians who live outside of the 48 borders. One particular aspect of this is the constant exposure, dominance and influence of Israeli language, education, culture that particularly women born and raised in the country experience. One woman uh, told me that even the act of holding Israeli citizenship constituted a real act of resistance for many women, as just by not throwing it away but holding on to it meant resisting Zionist intentions of further land grabbing and Judaization. This narrative can be linked uh, to statements of women who regarded the complexity surrounding their official citizenship status as an invitation to talk about their situation as Palestinians who are occupied within the 48 borders. Now, how do Palestinian feminists practice and deal with citizenship in, uh, in Israel? Um, because the purpose of your workshop, I think, is really to focus on practices and acts of citizenship, I chose this specific uh, theoretical paper by uh, Holloway Sparks on dissident citizenship. Um, I think it can contribute a lot to actors like Palestinian feminists in Israel, but it also has its limitations. <laughs> um, to me this article is a very fine attempt to provide a, uh, an alternative concept of citizenship that accounts for practices by dissenting uh, citizens. Here in this context, uh, black activist women during the US civil rights movement and she particularly looks at the story of Rosa Parks. And uh, the definition that's on the screen now is how she, how the author conceptualizes dissident democratic citizenship as the following. The practices of marginalized citizens 
who publicly contest prevailing arrangements of power by means of oppositional democratic practice that augment or replace institutionalized channels of democratic opposition when those channels are inadequate or unavailable. Instead of voting, lobbying or petitioning, dissident citizens constitute alternative public spaces through practices such as marches, protests and picket lines, sit-ins, slowdowns and so on. Dissident citizenship, in other words, encompasses the often creative oppositional practices of citizens who, either by choice or much more commonly by forced exclusion from the institutionalized means of opposition, contest current arrangements of power from the margins of the polity. It's like a German sentence. <laughs> it's really long. <laughs> no, I just realized that reading it out loud. Arabic sentences like. Yes, yeah, and another yeah. rant, of course. Arabic sentences like. Yeah, as a reminder, this is the noun, <laughs> the subject of the sentence. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting that the example that you're giving about dissident citizenship here is not the common. We're not forced out of the. Uh, traditional uh, democratic yeah. yeah. Yeah, and you will see how I disagree with her in some ways because our historical contexts are very different mm -hmm. and I think they, they play, play a huge role. Mm -hmm. Her practices of dissident, of dissent, sorry, are using violence either as revolutionaries or as terrorists. Second, exit, exiting either as emigrants or as internal separatists remaining in the polity but deliberately choosing silence or inaction rather than participation, for example as non-voters and other non-participants, using the formal institutionalized channels of democratic contestation that address the state, using the institutionalized but marginalized channels of democratic contestation that address the state and the wider polity, and finally using the non-institutionalized and marginalized channels of democratic contestation that address both the state and the wider polity. Now, according to this author, only the last two, five and six, are practices of dissident citizenship, because for her, dissident citizenship go walks hand in hand with demo democracy, or de what she considers uh, democratic behavior, or democratic norms. So people living in democratic polities can contest prevailing arrangements of power through a range of democratic and non-democratic practices. Um, the first, Although violence and terrorism might communicate opposition rather effectively, they are not democratic practices because they collapse the space for collective debate and contestation with the use of threat of violence. The second and third, exit, separatism and silence are also not considered democratic practices because they involve the failure to participate in collective political engagement at all. So for her, really, dissent has to be linked to being democratic, which in my context, that's not really relevant. Mm -hmm. And fourth, um, oh sorry, no, no, it's relevant. Institutionalized and state-centered ways of contesting power arrangements are not dissent because citizens engage in these institutionalized practices as participatory equals. Uh, she, she does admit that this is only uh, the case in theory, and in my case it's not the case in practice. Um, so her, her concept um, revolves around notions of democratic practices and public practices, whereas my research context differs as the dissenters are not participatory equals, and also they do not necessarily draw on neither democratic practices nor, because they're not available, nor public, uh, public practices to express the dissidents. Nevertheless, the practices which I observe very much speak to Spark's theoretical conception of citizenship 
or dissident citizenship rather, as they involve the four following elements. First, the oppositional democratic interactions between marginal and non-subordinate citizens, or what Fraser calls unequal publics. Second, the variety of discursive, performative, organizational and everyday dissenting actions within and between those unequal publics. Third, the material and institutional context that shape dissenting non-institutionalized actions between unequal publics. And finally, the, the ideas and discourses that shape and influence democratic dissent, or dissent, especially discourses on democracy and citizenship. So the next section is going to look at how, at how um, some of these practices, um, from my personal point of view, and I'm very curious to see what you think, can be considered practices of dissident citizenship. Um, while there was a common agreement among the women that they had no positive emotional attachment to any aspect of their Israeli citizenship, they had vastly different approaches in terms of how to navigate their interests through a jungle of contradictory and conflicting personal experiences of belonging and displacement and a citizenship status imposed by a colonial settler state. These dealings or acts of citizenship range from straightforwardly rejecting their Israeli citizenship as a real citizenship all the way to accepting it and somehow trying to make the best of it. Some women took the factual existence of their Israeli citizenship as far as to perceive it as something that ought to be realized, fulfilled or corrected, often by themselves, in order to event eventually transform it into a real or meaningful citizenship. I'm sorry. Can you repeat the second? Uh, I'm sorry. Which one? I lost you. You talked about uh, uh, refusing it and then... Uh, yeah, it's contradictory. So yeah, some women completely rejected it mm -hmm. as a real, it didn't qualify as a yeah, real citizenship yeah. to them. And to others, they took on the burden of saying, okay, it's not a real citizenship, but it's up to us whether it will become a real citizenship or not, um, because we can correct it. We can claim our rights as citizens. Exactly. Yeah. So you have the ones who say change from the inside and the other ones who say, out of principle, it's yeah. actually impossible. Yeah. But they're still dealing with it, yeah. just in different ways. Many women expressed that they did not feel as if they had a real choice in the ways in which they dealt with their citizenship. One woman, for example, said, I grew up knowing that we have to accept Israeli citizenship and deal with it because we don't have a choice. In this context, it almost occurred uh, naturally that we would discuss the expectations that the state holds towards Palestinian citizens. And more importantly, what my interviewees thought that the state expected for them as citizens. Being a good Arab was one of the most mentioned uh, phrases during our talks. The phrase itself stands for the strategy taken by Palestinians in Israel who, according to the women, identify and refer to themselves as Arab Israelis or Israeli Arabs, thereby drawing on an identity and language um, that the state in a large part of Israeli society uh, imposes on Palestinians in Israel, and which many Palestinian feminists outspokenly reject. According to them, the strategy of being a good Arab involves an attempt to conform to the, to the requirement of the Israeli state and mainstream society towards Palestinians, to accept the Jewish identity of the state, to assimilate and to disconnect from other Palestinians, the Palestinian homeland and collective memory. Some women mentioned that in the context of Israel, the options to act as what they defined as good citizens, I'm oh, sorry, on the contrary, the ideal citizen was described to me as a law-abiding, law uh, yet critical woman, informed, hard-working, and one who would raise her voice when witnessing any form of injustice against her and her fellow citizens. 
When being asked whether they believed they were such citizens, most women, though at times slightly blushing, would say that they believed that they were in many ways good citizens. At times, they would even slip back and forwards between referring to an ideal citizen and themselves. Some women mentioned that in the context of Israel, so again, this really shows you the relevance of talking about, you know, what do you mean when you, <laughs> when you say, I'm a good citizen, or what is your ideal citizenship? Some women mentioned that in the context of Israel, the options to act as what they defined as good citizens were limited. Many times these options were described as dependent on the price to pay for such action, um, especially as many of their perceived ideal citizen rights stood in oppos opposition to the Israeli law. Worth noting also was that their constructions of good citizens were based on rather Western and liberal ideas revolving around issues of equality, opportunity, access, but also clearly defined rights and duties. Interestingly, there were no uh, specifically, there was nothing really feminist or queer about the ideas and concepts they had about citizenship, or at least they couldn't recognize them as such. Um, Palestinian feminists in Israel constitute dissident agents as um, indigenous citizens and as women in, in ethnic, cultural, and religious communities within the state's boundaries. Um, the reciprocity between the patriarchal structure, tr structures of Zionist state and Palestinian society, combined with ongoing colonialist interven interventions of replacement and possible revocation of one's citizenship, have an undoubtedly intertwined influence on Palestinian women's lives and leave over a limited set of choices on how to resist whichever element appears to be more urgent, uh, the more urgent sort of oppressing force at the time. Not uncommonly, the choices taken by the woman seem paradoxical from an outsider's perspective, especially when compared to one another. The woman's strategies of dealing with citizenship in Israel, five of which will be I'm going to discuss now, are largely determined by the notion of a right to rights, and more specifically, which unattained right the individual woman prioritizes. For example, the right to act freely as a Palestinian and move abroad, or the right to remain on one's homeland. Um, so this is going back to the practices that we saw earlier, um, as defined by Sparks. This is exiting the polity, which I think is one of the most radical dealings with citizenship. Uh, it was most common among academic businesswomen, uh, among academics and businesswomen, and it's a rejection of the Israeli citizenship. It's a clear rejection of the Israeli citizenship because they're exit exiting the, the polity completely either as emigrants or separatists. Among the reasons mentioned behind their decision to leave the country was the woman's sentiment of having the right to achieve more for their own careers and the right also to just act freely, that's how they described it, often from a feminist perspective and not having to worry about imposed identity crisis. Many of these women have found it more comfortable to live outside of the Israeli policy. So here one woman said, uh, it is easier to be Palestinian abroad Two women have said that uh, they feel like they can live and identify more freely as Palestinians in a foreign country. When I say I'm Arab, people will push me to answer, what kind of Arab are you? There it is easier to be a foreigner than it is to be a foreigner at home. Nevertheless, some of the women have said that based on their citizenship, they continue to feel uncomfortable when being asked about where they are from. But some say Palestine and then later explain that their hometowns lie within what is now Israel. Others refer to their home simply as back home rather than Israel. The women who decided to leave the country have also stressed that they enjoy being in an environment in which they do not perceive everything as a struggle on a personal level. 
Saving your energy for your family was a big motivation for women to move abroad and to find peace as well as a more normal environment. I'm not sure what this means. Uh, for their children to be educated and grow up in. Apart from their struggles with the state of Israel, all of my interviews abroad have shared with me their difficulties and often frustrations with Palestinian communities in Israel. While they described that many Palestinians, friends and family alike, had judged them for not being nationalist enough by leaving the country, or patriotic enough, the two words were used, um, they felt that they had to leave in order to break out of what they often experienced as an overall, overall unhealthy environment. Many feminists described to me scenarios in which they broke with local traditions from an early age, how their visions for the future clashed with those of their families and or communities, and how hence exiting the country constituted a strategy of resistance, but more importantly to them, personal fulfillment and self-realization. So one quote from this angle is this one by Ruba. How can you accept this kind of oppression from not only the state but also your own community? I've had enough. I'm taking control. I try to make a change, but I feel I can do it much better from abroad. I never give up. I never give up, but this way I will have more energy available to me. In context of the price to pay, the same woman who was waiting for a green card at the time of the interview shared with me that if the price for her staying in Palestine was too high, too high to pay for her, the currency being personal sacrifices made on her side, such as, on her, side, such as uh, her well-being, happiness and professional success, she would simply leave. Certainly the majority of women strongly disagreed with this strategy and regarded exiting and thus leaving the homeland as surrendering to the racist state of Israel. This is a quote. <laughs> thus they clearly prioritized re remaining on their homeland as a right and sometimes duty and were unwilling to pay the price of leaving, even if it meant impairing their freedom to live as Palestinians and equal citizens. So this is the second quote, which is, the red line is staying here. I don't think I should go somewhere else. I need to be here. I seriously think I would do the, do the state a favor if I would leave. I'm not against going abroad for a couple of years, but you have to come back. This is our struggle, staying here. Now, choosing an action. Another commonly mentioned form of dealing with their citizenship was for the women to deliberately choose inaction rather than participation, for instance, as non-voters and other non-participants. Many of these women portrayed their relationship with the state of Israel as more of a transaction than an interaction. In general, it can be said that the majority of the women interviewed do not participate in conventional forms of political participation, particularly so on the national level. In terms of voting, for instance, only around a third of my interviews have stated that they participate in local elections, while the vast majority of women refuses to participate in the national elections to the Knesset. Voting in national elections has frequently been um, delineated as an indirect legitimization of unequal racialized and gendered Israeli citizenship and the military occupation of Palestine. The feminists portrayed particularly the Knesset many times as a democratic joke. So, representing this narrative would be Anand's quote. I do not vote on the national level because I do not want to participate in a game that I know I'm losing. I do not want to vote. I would legitimize a system that is killing, that is seriously killing me. While it is more common for Palestinian women to vote on the local level, there is still a widespread skepticism towards the local political system political parties, both uh, Palestinian, uh, Arab and Zionist. 
and what many feminists depicted as patriarchal, tribal and backward hamula politics, lack of leadership and more. Some women have clearly stated that they regard um, Arab local politics simply as a game provided by the state to keep Palestinians occupied and busy, struggling among themselves while real political decision making takes place on the national level. One, <laughs> one uh, friend of mine said, even Ben-Gurion once said that if you want the Arabs to forget us and fight each other, give them local councils. As previously mentioned above, this perception is also linked to a general frustration with political leaders and representatives within the Palestinian society in Israel, but also on, the, on an international level. I have observed the most radical forms of conceptualizing, conceptualizing interaction with the state within Bedouin communities, where one Palestinian woman shared with me that in her opinion, it doesn't matter. The Ottomans, the British, the Jews, the Ottomans, the British, the Jews, no occupation lasts forever. We only deal with them if we have to. The only interaction you will see here is through the police. Another Bedouin woman shared her experiences of several uh, and repeated house demolitions in one of my focus groups in an unrecognized village in the Nakab. She stressed that her persistence she stressed her persistence in rebuilding her home while at the same time being totally indifferent towards her citizenship status. If they want me to be, I am a citizen. I don't want them to take this land. That's all. If they say, we won't take this land, if you're a citizen, then I will be a citizen. Using institutionalized channels. Um, Palestinian women also dealt with citizenship by drawing on the formal and institutionalized channels of democratic contestation of power arrangements that address the state and other forms of patriarchal arrangements, for instance, as political candidates, uh, voters, and, and such like. Some women, though comparatively few, argue that putting the right to vote into practice empowers them. One woman, for example, said, I do vote, voting is important, having a representative is important, it empowers me. Yeah, she works for an NGO, which is why she uses the word empowerment. <laughs> um, other women, though only a few, had no problems with participating as political candidates in national and local elections. Two Druze women, for instance, who ran for office in their hometowns, in the local elections of 2014, even went as far as to draw on Zionist support by allying themselves with Zionist parties such as Kadima. Yeah, I don't really want to get too deep into this because I am limited with time. <laughs> um, okay, the quote here really is another perfect quote because it sums up one of the very, very uh, common narratives that I came across. Yes, I voted on both levels. Next time I won't vote though. Really, because I'm not part of a minority. I'm a native here. Instead of trying in the Knesset, you can put your energy towards the international community. On the local level, I vote as a citizen. It's more about your daily life. It's citizenship rights. The Knesset is national. I vote on the local level because I'm a citizen, not because I vote. As a citizen, there is some stuff I need the, the municipality for. At the Knesset, this is not working anymore. We don't have any benefits from being there. Other women successfully made use of the Israeli legal system, such as a woman who told me about how she won her claim in an Israeli court for her right to demonstrate peacefully, or another woman who won her Supreme Court appeal against an attempt to deny her the right to build a house on land which she owns in an allegedly Jewish area in Misgav.
case, this, this is the last practice. That's <laughs> okay, it's almost one hour for that. Okay. Um, another way of dealing with one's citizenship is the use of marginalized channels of democratic contestation that address the state and the wider polity as members of oppositional organizations such as NGOs and political movements. In fact, the large majority of Palestinian feminists I've spoken to are either members of staff or active former or founding members of Palestinian NGOs working on minority rights in Israel. The common practice of establishing organized democratic contestation is a powerful expression of dissidence and resistance of Palestinian women in Israel. Palestinian women's organizations alone, alone account for more than a dozen organizations. Nevertheless, it should be emphasized that these organizations often play into the hands of the Israeli government by filling social, health, education and security gaps left by the state. While the driving force behind most women's motivation as activists is not linked or motivated by their status as citizens, their demand for equal rights or the right for equal rights takes place within the framework of a discourse on citizenship in Israel. Many women draw on non-institutionalized and marginalized channels of democratic contestation which address both the state and wider polity, for instance as, during demonstrations, as artists or civil disobedience. For example, a great number of women included in this research took part in political demonstrations on university campuses and in public spaces, something that is in many cases uh, prohibited by law. At least 20 of my interviews marched in the demonstrations against the power plan in November 2013, during which several of these women have been placed under detention. Now, the question, what is docile, what is dissident? Um, not surprisingly, the list of women's dealings with citizenship in Israel can be extended considerably. However, they all testify that dealings or acts of citizenship cannot be easily categorized as certain forms of citizenship practice based on the manifold angles from which they can be assessed, as well as the inherently contradictory nature Delving into this contradictory nature, deeper conversations with Palestinian women have revealed that their practice, uh, some of their imposed duties as citizens in Israel conspicuously and very diligently. For instance, um, despite of rejecting some duties such as voting or serving in the army, most Palestinian women I spoke to have shared with me, or, or many have shared with me their reflections on filling out, for example, tax and insurance forms very rigorously and making sure that they do not break the law in any way. Along similar lines, a few women reflected on how they themselves often act as obedient citizens, whether subconsciously or not, because of the fact that they are not part of the majority, the A-class citizen group. At times, certain red lines or price to pay were mentioned that marked the boundaries of how far the feminist expressions of the dissidents in Israel would go. The major reasons behind establishing the red lines in the first place include the prevention of causing their families concern, putting their families into danger or trouble, risking their career prospects, or simply not doing something they themselves perceive as wrong. It's important to emphasize that these red lines or limits of dissidents, if you want, uh, are very much shaped by how women experience intersecting uh, categories of discrimination. So overall, I think uh, a short conclusion would be that um, I try to argue or make a case for some political activities practiced by Palestinian feminists in Israel to be considered forms of citizenship practiced from the margins. Uh, more specifically, um, my study I sought to establish that based on their marginalization as Palestinian women, it is only through these women's reclaimed marginal space or angle that a radical form of politics can be realized as one 
that cuts through various other categories and renders citizenship possible to be conceptualized and practiced by Palestinian women, and in this case feminists, despite of their marginalized status. These politics include collective and individual claims to rights, political participation and representation, and permeate through various and inherently intertwined frameworks, including family, religious, local, national, and international institution, in institutions. The concept of marginal space serves to shine a light on how Palestinian feminists negotiate the tensions between those institutions by exposing how uh, real, material, imagined and discursive processes play significantly into the emergence and shaping of dynamic practices of political contention. And I think that citizenship can be part of this. The women have widely different views on how to deal with and practice citizenship in Israel. However, at present, these practices are inextricably linked to Palestinian women's counter-hegemonic perceptions and imaginaries of citizenship as both acts of political resistance against, as well as forms of bargaining with hegemonic systems. I think I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Sorry it was so long. <laughs> so, um, any of you want to have a question? Or I can. I have some. I um, uh, thank you, it was really a really interesting talk. Um, I really enjoyed in the paper. Now you 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 said it again, but still, I mean the whole theorization of not to talk about double discrimination, but to be more uh, specific yeah. in discrimination or intersectionality, not to uh, and to say how it can be also they can be also benefiting somewhere mm -hmm. uh, from uh, from the situation as women, like more specific than double, uh, and all the liberation uh, you have. I, I'm, I have something maybe I didn't catch well, or I, I would like you maybe to elaborate a bit more on that. For instance, you're talking, you say that you, I mean, the subject is Palestinian feminists in Israel. So do you consider these feminists as individual feminists, like somebody who auto-labels uh, herself mm -hmm. as feminist? Or, and or, would you consider also groups? Mm -hmm. uh, movements, uh, feminist movements, because you said that, okay, uh, fe feminists in Israel are very diverse, you have very many trends, etc. What I mean by that is that maybe it would be um, interest interesting to really know the position of these different women as a feminist and as a group, mm -hmm. like what is the position of this group and this group and this group towards citizenship? What kind okay. of acts of citizenship they are, uh, they are performing? Yeah. Meaning that, because if not, it's like, if, if we follow the presentation, it could be any woman. Mm -hmm. what, what you, the, the quotes you gave could be any woman, educated or not, whatever, saying how she feels about the, the identity card, about this and this. It's not specific to mobilization, but feminism is about also mobilization. So how do you mobilize on issue of citizenship while you are feminist, as an individual or as a group, and as such, what do you do? If you are a group from this kind of trend, this kind of feminism, 
what do you choose? And if you are this kind of book, what do you choose? You know, like to try to really construct it. So, so the idea of being, of having different feminism would be embodied in your topic. Yeah. Because like this, it's like separated, which is, for instance, um, uh, you said the issue of, 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 of queers and, for instance, like uh, I, I know some feminists, like you have a SWAT and you have, for instance, queers for BDS. They don't have at all the same position on um, working on the local level, for instance, mostly, discrimination against a uh, gay person in general, or uh, addressing more transnational network, or trying to address also uh, uh, mostly through transnational than national. But I mean, each group position itself between local, national, uh, what to go for, uh, do we act on this topic, do we don't, yeah. shall we share an election, shall we not? So I mean, I think that you should re-put yeah. re all this in your, so we can really uh, uh, understand the, the feminist landscape and how the Palestinian feminist landscape in Israel and how they relate to citizenship and mobilization. If not, it's a little bit too disconnected. Disconnected plus, plus more general, like you know, how you relate to your uh, citizenship, your nationality as Israeli could. It could be a man. It yeah. could be another woman. It could be anybody. Okay. It's not specific. Can I just answer that? Well, yeah. I just, I'd like to jump on that. Yeah. That was not my question. Uh, reading your paper, you mentioned like I think maybe yeah. The, the question of Stephanie and I are to say the same coin, to side of the same coins. Just you mentioned twenty plus in-depth interviews, and I did not quite figure out on which. Uh, criteria, methodological criteria, you mm. sort of set up for um, this peculiar woman instead of another, if they're not, as Stephanie say, I mean that's individual versus collective, yeah. if they're not representing uh, anybody else than, than themselves. I mean, you know what I mean, as a researcher, yeah. um, what drew you to find this, yeah, uh, that's this woman. You see, one, one of my biggest problems was at the beginning. Is the camera still on? Are we leaving it on for the question and answer time? Because I can answer more freely if it's off. <laughs> ah, yes. Is it okay? Yeah, 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 it is okay. Yeah? Yeah. Is it recording? Yeah. Uh, can we turn it off? Just in case. No, no, no. So here we go. My supervisors really pushed me towards, you know, like you, where you can't just go to uh, 48 and say you are going to interview feminists. You have to look at either the Bedouin community or yeah. you look at sort of the target yeah, And I'm strictly against this because this is exactly feeding uh, into this, you know, grouping of Palestinian women, which we yeah. already have in so many. Works on Palestinian women. It's a division that is imposed by. Uh, yeah, and I really am a bit careful about this. But if you, um, I mean, there you have to put this sort of. Uh, well, the question will will arise. So you probably have to state it black and white. But at the same time, still remains. Um, if you don't want to go into this sort of um, dividing categories, which is yeah. another. Um, 
which is another technique of power and domination. Yeah. And this, I think, it's, it may be missing in the way we are yeah. to that. Then, what is your alternative research method, just yeah. in terms of methodology? Yeah, mm -hmm. intersectional theory. And I tell you why, because right now my problem is, so when I entered, I said, mm -hmm. Because my preliminary fieldwork was very much going through organizations, and this is what most people do, and it's not a very good thing to do because there are certain NGO politics attached to the movement that you will come across, and I don't, as a researcher, I didn't really want to get too much into this NGO world. So I, the women that I interviewed are all friends of a friend of a friend of a friend. So I used snowball techniques to go and really try my best to cover anything I could get my hands on. I mean, I was interviewing every single day on any woman who said, uh, I support the feminist project. They didn't all identify as feminists because it's a Western uh, terminology that some women obviously struggle with in Palestine. Other women said, I'm, I'm very much feminist and I really um, didn't have a plan in that sense to say, I want to look at this specific geographic area. My intention was to cover as much as possible, which might be really naive, but because I did this, um, I had the opportunity to really reflect on the differences between, you know, their situatedness and how it plays into what they are mm. telling me. And now the big trouble, and which is why I'm leaving feminism right now a little bit out, because the problem with feminism, and not just in Palestine. I mean, I don't want to provincialize Palestine, but it's a general fem feminist problem that we reproduce a lot of hierarchies of power, mm -hmm. that there's a lot of reproduction of, you call it, class, yeah. race, uh, all kinds of relations, I, religious, I can relate to physical that. ability, definitely. Yeah. I can relate to that as an observer, like when you discussed about like those f real feminists who don't define themselves as feminists, it's actually yes. as a consequence of their criticism of this hierarchy that is created exactly. by feminist yeah. organizations that are imposing certain yeah. uh, characteristics. Yeah, so now the challenge is to go back and really figure out first these reproductions before I go back to saying how, so how do they connect to citizenship practices? Yeah. Because as you said, and I completely agree, it would be amazing to connect and um, I mean obviously I don't want to uh, be able to say okay so what is you tell me what she is I can tell you what how she practices yeah. citizenship and I wanted to uh, no, no, exactly because you, you can have the opposite result which is, is a socialization yeah of the Palestinian women from 48 uh, which yeah but then uh, not good no of course but, not. but my question <laughs> is uh, when you uh, refer to like this uh, Methodological uh, question: I, I, How would you perceive circumstantial uh, uh, commonality? And yeah, that would exactly. be it's, it's that would difficult. be yeah. And another thing, another thing you can circumstantial commonality: mm -hmm. uh, the fact that you're trying to uh, look at it as different groups or different different communities, yeah. but there are uh, there is a difference between. I'm not talking about communities like Bedouins yeah. and blah blah blah. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just talking. You're talking about feminism. I'm not yeah. talking about yeah. Okay. As soon as you had feminism, it's not just like something. True. If, if you talk about communism, I will, I will go and see people that are involved in groups that be, that label themselves as communists or label themselves as as communist. It's yeah, not feminist then, because you're a woman, you know. Yeah, but I'm not taking the feminist yeah. part. I'm taking the. You can uh, have men feminists, and you can go yeah. and and, look, and work with them. Yeah. So what I mean is just like you refer to something, which means. Uh, which means action in a way, or 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 
theory or intellectual engagement at something. Mm. So you you take that the person how she puts herself in that. Mm. You see the person or the group. So I'm talking about groups of feminist groups. Of feminism. That's very like yeah, you you uh, like no, yeah. put your finger on a very uh, uh, delicate subject. <laughs> yeah. I think in, when it comes to uh, the the. The Palestinian feminist movement inside, uh, yeah. inside like forty-eight. One if it's a movement, that's the exactly. Yeah. That's the whole issue. I I, I uh, struggle with that again. Um, I think I'm. Uh, I can define myself as a feminist uh, activist since uh, like uh, my teenage years. But I was in the Haifa feminist uh, uh, center, so that was kind of Israeli at at some point. Can Can we just ask which uh, which organization? Uh, did I yeah. work with? Yeah. Can. Can, can, yeah. Yeah. From Can came as well. I know. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I, I was an activist in, in Aswat as well. Yeah. And Isha, Isha. Mm -hmm. So, well, my that's point. That's the only way that they could function through Kayan. It's not yeah, that yeah, they yeah, came yeah. out of the no, can. No, no, I don't know. Okay. But I'm ADD. I can't. Like, I'll You're coming all the way from Haifa. No, no, sorry. Uh, so, where. Uh, <laughs> so, you said the, the feminist issue. So, what I'm, I was trying to say is, like, this struggle still exists right now. Yeah. Even uh, like me as a man, it's an easy like I'm an easy target. So okay, I understand. And there, there's always this like uh, my struggle with privilege inside this kind of movement that that also st singles me uh, out, and I should be marginalized uh, at some point. I should. So, but, but that's not even the case when it comes to like different ideology. Uh, you don't like ideologies. Different uh, political uh, uh, beliefs inside uh, feminism, and when it comes to uh, even political, like when it comes to political. Uh, I, I'm sorry, I do believe in the ideology. Uh, uh, political ideologies, where you have actually tajamma feminists and like. Uh, uh, Jabha feminist, and which is ridiculous in my eyes, yeah. but that's what, where we exist right now, and people are willing to give compromises when it comes to targeting certain threats on the feminist movement, considering political benefits of their party. For example, that's another example. Other other example is also the the issue of uh, urban versus. Uh, um, uh, rural. Yeah. So that's another issue. Uh, North, when it comes to uh, uh, feminist movement in, in Palestinian uh, 48 and uh, Naqab, that is like Naqab is setting a, a role model of like, and again, something that you don't like, our grassroots uh, <laughs> feminist work, that yeah. is setting a really like a I think uh, a very interesting uh, model, but then how is it perceived by uh, the feminist movement in the north? And I feel a lot of con condescending uh, attitude towards them. Where, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So the, uh, the just saying that really, it's you. You put your finger on something that it's, it's very not sensitive. A, yeah. it's very. Uh, it's still very acute, and it's, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And yeah, but you cannot avoid, avoid. No, I'm not avoiding it. I mean, to, to ask the question first, who, who do you choose? Do you choose person that auto designate themselves a feminist or not? Even or you decide, that, you decide that they are feminists, mm. and then how do you situate yourself? You can choose to, 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 to have people that only label themselves, or you think that this is not the more 
you have to position this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But when you ask your friends, tell me about I'm yeah. researching this topic, and then they tell you. So it's basically Palestinians who tell you, okay, you're looking for Palestinian feminists. And then they introduce me to people, and sometimes they don't say I'm a feminist. They say, well, you know, it's more like a snowball so thing. So it's a third-person perception. It's a yeah. third-person perception. Exactly. One. Well, yeah, I guess one. And second, as you mentioned before, there is feminism as a as a concept, as a concept, as a translation, and as a definition. It's completely Western. Women in the Naqab who are active in their community, they're not active because they're feminists. They're not active for women rights. They're active because their circumstances force them to act to be active. Primarily, they have the land confiscation. You know, the biggest recognition on on being legitimate as living in the place you are before being uh, um, recognized as a national minority. That's one thing. So the activism, how I see it, it's not start, it, doesn't, it didn't start because you know, I'm a woman, I'm a marginalized. That's the one thing. And the second thing, the, the whole thing that's called citizen discourse is not, that's not, this, yeah, the citizenship discourse. What is a citizenship? What are my rights? What are my duties? It's completely absent from the Israeli scene. No one talks about, uh, no one talks about uh, political or social or um, cultural rights for anyone. Of course, for the Jews because this is the Jewish state. That's that's the one thing. And the biggest problem is because the Palestinians in Israel are not recognized as a national minority the allocation of the rights is based on religious groups, not on national grouping, not, not on a national identification. So all of the rights that are allocated for the Palestinians in Israel, they're individual rights. There isn't such a thing as called collective rights. And in this, so you take the absence of the discourse on what is a citizenship, what are my rights, and the absence of recognition as a national minority, as an indigenous minority, and as a legitimate and um, mm. <laughs> a legitimate mm. people and group, they're going nowhere. So you put these together, and then another fact that the Palestinians are recorded um, are located in three um, different geographical areas within Israel. The circumstances, the daily circumstances, the daily challenges are completely different. So if you go to Nazareth, the women who are active there, they're completely different than the ones who are active in, in the Naqab. Yeah, but, but so that's... You have to, to have a clue on that. To have? To have uh, data, I mean, to, 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 to elaborate on it. You cannot just go Yeah, but yeah. Wishin, mm -hmm. Ken mentioned at the beginning, they're different types. She said they're different, but she didn't, take yeah. the, she didn't really... Uh, Go deeper. You can say this for anywhere. You can say anywhere, yeah. but everybody is different from. Yeah. The but I mean, you know the situation, so you know what she's referring to. But imagine, yeah. if person more. I mean, this is. I mean, what is social science? Then? It's just to try to understand who is doing what because, uh, because of different reasons, which would be, uh, 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 mobilization, which would be. Uh, well, different things. It would be interesting if you find any authentic, like authentic readings, writings in Arabic about feminism, about feminism in the Arab world, and like not Western ideas, not translation, not concepts. You know, but if the the feminism, yeah. you said yeah. it's, it's Western, yeah. but there is an Arab feminism since a long time. 
Come yeah. on, I mean, it's not like... Uh, yeah. No, yeah. It's, it's different, it's but not, it's, I was it's different, but 90%, 90%, 90% you won't hear anyone saying I'm a feminist. Like, mm. And those who are, they're very, very, like a really small minority. And mostly in my eyes, they're classified, uh, they also present themselves as, as an elite. Whether it's an education elite or economic elite. No, I don't want to say normal people, but people who do, who are active, who do things, who want to improve their situation, they will not say, I'm a feminist. But uh, what I'm trying, I'm not, you know, the mm. point is not to, just the point is to, to say it, because mm. if you put feminist, oh. then you, mm. what, what you do, do, who identify as, as feminist, why, what, what trend, how, mm. this is the, the mm. topic of it. It's not to say that they should say or they should not say, they say whatever they want, but you just have to analyze it. If you don't analyze it, then come on, there's just a Palestinian woman, and forget it, you know? So you're saying that, uh, since it's not, uh, I don't think there, there's going to be any kind of uh, uh, defining of this, uh, these, uh, like, uh, positions of certain activists who would define themselves as feminist, or what kind of feminism, uh, liberal, um, but, you say that mentioning it is enough because I don't see that uh, being defined. Like I don't see that being defined right now and being uh, uh, actually that it's feasible to do, to do this kind of definition mm -hmm. right now in the feminist movement in the 48th area. That's why I, I asked you about like why couldn't uh, 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 circumstantial commonality in terms of uh, their status uh, if we want socially, politically, and uh, it can't, why can't it be the um, like the defining factor? The status, you mean? The, the, the status, you said? Yeah. yeah. So essential uh, commonality that there are the Palestinian, Palestinian women that work towards uh, uh, I don't know, like ideal. Uh, well, they call it in different ways. Yeah. yeah. I, I took it from Black Feminist Theory. Yeah. They, yeah. they yeah. support the yeah. feminist project. Project. Yeah. However, they define yeah. it. Yeah, this was the, the entry point. Yeah. Yeah, because they had been calling me saying no, this is support. supported. Exactly. Yeah. They don't identify necessarily yeah. as feminist. Well, did you meet other than women? Pardon? Did you meet other than women? I met uh, intersexual. Okay. Woman. I met. Um, well, I interviewed a couple of men, but I had difficulties because <laughs> I had the feeling that. I interviewed five uh, Palestinian men who identified as feminists, or they, 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 they did No, no, they said they are feminists. Mm -hmm. uh, but the problem was... If I missed this number, out of how many in total? In total, around 100. Including so both, both field works. So, what's wrong of, uh, of saying among Palestinian women in Israel? How would that change everything? Yeah. But, well... Sorry, did you? Yeah. It would change everything because I not not feminist in Israel. Why, why not women? Yeah. Not all women because are. Because I have interviewed yeah, a couple of uh, people who said I don't identify as but feminist women. Maybe. Yeah, I also sometimes I use women activists because yeah. I want to stay away from. So feminists. they are active. Yeah, they are all active in different ways. 
sometimes not not necessarily with uh, organizations. But maybe also this should be elaborated yeah, on what kind of activities. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, just to find a way, the best way, but, um, that you consider mm. most uh, uh, close to what you want to say, but you have to. F I think there is something to. In, in, in the same sense, Kim, I don't agree with you when you said at the beginning, who am I to to say, no, you, you are the one who should say, this is my sample, these are the people, uh, this is what I see common between all this, and according to this, I'm calling, I'm calling this group my sample. Yeah. This and, and go on. You just oh no, but that's not the when I said uh, who am I. Yeah, it's more like a reflective point of view to say who am I to classify which political activity as citizenship. Like I, my intention really was to leave it to the woman to tell me about what she does. And, and again, uh, woman and feminist is not like interchangeable. They're not. But I think woman here fits because they're not interchangeable. I don't see here. That, and actually, I haven't read anything. And from your discussion to Kim's peep, uh, paper, uh, because feminist, feminism uh, might be very problematic because it's not neither inclusive nor exclusive. But the, no, but I, I think many feminists will tell you yeah. maybe yeah. feminisms. Yeah. So there's no yeah. Yeah. common agreement. But, Sorry, I got I got a question maybe to move on from this very criteria because um, because of my own, the own paper that I presented uh, last week. Yes, I had this discussion with Zengin and uh, basically for him, like if you want to have an active citizenship, somehow what you conclude on being basically starting from the margin, this very sort of find this field of investigation whereby you have the line between inclusion and, and exclusion. You're at the margin. The line is here. So if you look at it, what Engin says basically that from this margin position, you have to have a certain impact on something. That's how you differentiate between an act of citizenship whereby you'll have something change, which is for instance, and you'll see where I'm coming from, a natural, well, regularization for some papier. Mm -hmm. uh, it will be something like... So this is a real question to you and it is broader than this paper. Did you... Did you came to think about the... Not, not necessarily in terms of targeted outcome, but as a sort of maybe unexpected outcome, but what did this change in this kind of multiplicity of action, whatever? Can that be a criterion as well? Um, did, would you be able to cite examples of things that actually uh, push this very limit from this margin? You know, like shifting slightly the boundary. What I don't mean what is the goal necessarily, but what are actually changed? What what you've seen, you know, throughout this period? Did they change something in terms of citizenship? No, not really in terms <laughs> of citizenship. Like basically, they will have this article saying you're equal. But in terms of of little legal achievement, this might be at the municipal level, it might be at a broader level, it might be maybe in terms of mobilization. Suddenly, you have more people interested in this very. I mean, you see, the problem is that okay, let's for did example, you, did you identify some change? Of course, there was some changes that you can that you can still observe now. Like for example, the local elections where all of a sudden more women than ever before participated in and they ran for the elections. 
and it was praised very much by many feminists, especially those who work for organizations that indirectly supported these women and prepared them with the skills, rhetorical skills, practical skills, whatever kinds of skills were needed. Mm -hmm. But also uh, there was a whole group of women who completely didn't acknowledge that as an achievement because they said, okay, so we have more women now in the local councils, but is this a feminist achievement? Mm -hmm. Is this uh, an achievement for the Palestinian minority mm -hmm. at all? So again, you know, my big challenge is that whatever I find, I always find the complete opposite <laughs> opinion very much. And I think this is a finding in itself, that it's very difficult, that even when I see something that might be perceived as a step, well, you know, away from the margin, not necessarily away, because my point is that they're taking the margin with them as an identity, but um, I think what you meant is, you know, seeing a sort of step somewhere or observing something, you know, what has changed, change. Yeah. And that is very difficult. And that's what I'm, it's also very difficult when you look at the center. I mean, what do I mean when I talk about the center? I mean, Palestinian women who work uh, in the Knesset or who work as lawyers in different uh, Israeli, um, you name it, in uh, businesswomen in Israeli uh, companies and for them it's it's not. But I think that's interesting your example because what if, however it's perceived the fact is that there is more women involved in the local elections and then you know it's perceived this world that way, yeah. uh, achievement or not, but that's what I mean by sort of um, no, it, change. no, it makes a difference. It's not about uh, how, if they are there, it's about uh, their, how their presence may have made any change. Uh, and uh, in many cases, not only in Palestine or like specifically in the, you know, in the Palestinian citizens of Israel, that's that group, you should not be surprised that uh, the presence of women can, was used as kind of a whitewashing uh, uh, yeah, measures, yeah. but they have against quantitative yeah, zero uh, uh, impact. Kind of. So, and that has been proven, uh, has been proven, proved. <laughs> 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 Uh, uh, within this kind of movement to bring uh, women into decision-making venues in, uh, in like Israeli uh, venues. I mean, it's a PhD for itself, you know, yeah. especially if you look at, okay, so who put women where, you know, yeah. and Hamula exactly. still play a huge role. And of course, I mean, you can't stop women from taking all the work. No, but you can't stop the change that are happening anyways. Yeah. So it's all a bit difficult to identify which change is a feminist change and which is uh, not. And, and they're lacking a, a representation, an effective representation on a really high level, like within the Palestinian yeah. community. So the fact that they have more uh, members in the council, female member councils, that means nothing. You know? <laughs> uh, yeah. And yeah. the fact that they have more in the Knesset also means nothing. Yeah, it's a matter of being part of the consensus or not. And yeah. like clearly, if even if we were twenty, never we're never part of the consensus in terms of, like for example, parliamentary representation. My question to that was about uh, I, you used uh, intersectional uh, discrimination. No, intersectional uh, theory. Theory. Sorry, sorry, sorry. 
but uh, when we're talking about uh, intersectional versus compound. Yeah, uh, this is what Stephanie said. That uh, in the I didn't I mentioned it in my paper that a lot of the literature, but also some of the women refer to this discrimination uh, phenomenon as you know the double, as if. There were two layers of oppression mm. and on top mm. of another, mm. and I think a lot of NGOs do this. You know, mm. yeah. uh, this you know they are part of the Palestinian minority and they are they are women within yeah. the Palestinian society. And using two hats. Exactly, choosing, using two hats, and that's you know even better than just saying it's two levels and we add them on top of each other, which mm. is. Uh, mm. So my question to that is. Especially done in literature, and I try to move away from this, yeah. also because I don't think it's. Uh, but then you're opening Pandora's box, which you noticed, mm. because I am really, you know, and I can see your difficulty, and I totally think you're right by saying you need to connect, you know, these citizenship practices to who are these women, you know, mm. because that's exactly what I'm trying to do. But then you have so many different categories going on that maybe it is necessary to just say, you know what, I'm only going to focus on mm. black feminists, yeah. Palestinian black feminists, because mm. I know that they are powerful. Mm. You, you also can, can reconstruct through interaction, through act of citizenship. Yeah. You can also define the acts that you want to notice and you connect the women to these acts. Yeah. Yeah. You're not necessary to connect them to their kind of social identity yeah. or even mobilization or even group. Yeah. You can also work with interactional acts, but you have to, I would think you have yeah. to choose something, an angle. It's not a question, okay. very, very uh, minor, if you want. Um, something weird caught, caught my attention in your paper. Uh, the dialectic relationship between physical and spiritual, if you want, namely the weight of land in the examples you've given. Uh, when I assume when talking about citizenship, we're talking about something uh, much more non-physical than being there or the land mm -hmm. or the... Uh, nonetheless, uh, among Palestinians in, 19, in, in Israel, uh, land is not a question of existence as much as uh, among other Palestinians. Oh, this is... I don't know. Again? Uh, my perception. My perception mm. of it. Land is there. They're on the land. No. It's not. Yeah, I, I, I know. I'm a Palestinian. No matter how you phrase it, it will sound wrong. But I'm trying. That's why. That's why I said the physical, non-physical, and it's more appropriate to say physical, non-physical than physical, uh, spiritual. Mm -hmm. uh, what is citizenship? We're talking about rights and duties. Nothing tangible here. Uh, one of the ladies said, if I stay, uh, uh, um, uh, I don't mind being a citizen if I stay on the land yeah. or something of the sort. Where uh, in, in the emotional progression of, of, the, of this woman or the like, where did we lose the connection between being a citizen, Bermutlaq, uh, Absolute, absolute. Uh, and being on a specific, specific piece of land geographically. Mm. It's, it's not, it, that caught my attention. Yeah. It doesn't fit. Uh, 
But that quote came specifically from the unrecognized villages in the Nakhon. Yeah, I was going okay, to say. So, so here, yeah, yeah. one of those cases Sorry, where the Nakhon is very important, I think. Yeah, yeah. And also, I think Lauren's paper really uh, demonstrated how important history is when we look at citizenship and as yeah. a term and its colonial history and, you know, who, who called certain people citizens. It wasn't, it's not like a natural thing to call yourself, I'm a citizen, it's, it, it has a history. So I think for Bedouins especially, many Bedouins, they would they have never referred to themselves as citizens in the no. first place, right? Yeah. So, no. yeah. And that might like, again, you know, I'm, I'm, it's not because of the language barrier. There's something for me difficult to to yeah, Bedouins, nomads. Uh, they're not connected to the land in the uh, very uh, traditional classic. Uh, uh, simple, naive way. Nonetheless, in this case, we're talking about Bedouins uh, uh, organically connecting citizenship with land. How did this happen? Okay. <laughs> I know Bedouins are, for a long time, we're, we own lands. Yeah, they're not... Uh, that, in Palestine. So let me break this uh, yeah. stereotype of yeah. no, uh, nomadity. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that was something I, I think was imposed on like Bedouins in the Nakhon. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not discussing like Bedouins in general, but Bedouin Palestinians in the Nakhon have different grazing lands, mm -hmm. uh, one for the winter and one for uh, summer, and they have moved between them. But it's they haven't. It's not like what uh, Israel is trying to say that they like came from, I don't know, uh, Southern Jordan or Sinai or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, so they use that a lot in uh, saying kind of like they're nomads. So they kind of they're not connected to the land. But actually, they have a more complex, a, a deeper and, yeah. and more complex yeah. connection to the land that is way more advanced than what we, for example, Palestinians in the north who are uh, come from like more agricultural background are connected to the land. So when you have this uh, uh, wider uh, concept of space and wider perception of uses of, of your land, then like you cannot really beat that when you call them nomads and you just try to uh, disconnect them from this context. What did, what did you mean with the land? Um, do you mean like the, the weight, uh, weight of the, of the land in the uh, uh, quotations? Yeah, and you said something earlier about like the difference between Palestinians in 48 and their connection to the land and yeah. Palestinians outside of 48. I think they, they, I'm sure there is a difference. I just, I'm curious mis about what no, you were... I misrepresented, yeah, I, I, I misrepresented what I wanted to say. Okay. No, but you said no, you said that there is no... You, you said they own the land, they, they are on the they land. They are on the land. And you That's said, no, no, it's not that. I mean, of course no. it's not that, politically speaking. No, no, but I mean, to, to what you... I was, was just referring to uh, um, their perception of land. Yeah. And how it's like more complex and deeper than what usually known because... No, I'm not talking about Bedouins, I'm talking about... About uh, Palestinians and... Uh, yeah, so when I said no, I meant like uh, a lot of... Uh, like uh, uh, mm, the limitation and like the, the shrinking spaces for Palestinians in 48 is uh, 
like out of the highlights maybe, but it's con continuous since uh, the Nakba. And uh, we, we, face this, we face that daily. Maybe they're uh, much more severe in the unrecognized uh, villages in the Naqab, but we have house demolitions happening daily in the Galilee. But, but or, and it is linked to citizenship and sliding scales of citizenship, you know, yeah. who is Let's not forget this, the slight uh, difference between space and land. But no, I, I meant land. Okay, so I, I meant space because I like we we do suffer from like uh, uh, shrinking uh, spaces. But when we're talking about land specifically, the land that I own, that my family owns, can be confiscated tomorrow morning. So the the I'm trying to. Uh, all, all this all this idea started from the example from the woman from Tira. Who said they took lots of uh, lots of yeah. took where <laughs> the land is still there, and it's not a question of property. I do I do uh, acknowledge the idea of the, the land that my family owns. No, I'm talking about perception, 100 percent. The lady is in Atira, and she identifies herself as from Atira, and Atira is still there, and it doesn't. Uh, it might uh, differ a bit from, from how we look at it. Atira before uh, uh, the division, uh, uh, the division resolution. Uh, used to be something af just after the resolution became something else and after the declaration of Israel became something a third thing. But the land is still there, the woman is still there. Citizenship in the concept is duties and, uh, and rights. And the weight of the whole uh, quotation was land. Mm. Conceptually, on the emotional, spiritual level, there's, there's a, you know, something went wrong. Something went loose somewhere. On how we perceive this, we, I do as a Palestinian, I do always feel in the conscious and the subconscious that my humanity is on stake after that. At one point, things are. The grounds are shaking. Shaking now. Did you say at stake? Oh, you mean at stake? At stake. Sorry, at stake. The grounds are shaking now. All of a sudden, it's only the land. The land is is. I do think that land is basically that thing when it comes to our conflict. Yes. Whatever is done to to conquer more land is that uh, uh, the, the uh, how do I, like I'm really generalizing I'm, I'm talking simplistic <laughs> uh, terms but I'm just trying to make a point here that uh, Israel's policies is always about more land for Jews and less land and less Arabs on these lands that's that like the very simplistic thank God these are turned off that's like what's like the basis of all policies now when you like I, I lost you there when you talk about like the lady from Altira who are st is still in Altira these people also lost a lot of uh, their land uh, during Nakba but what I'm trying to say is the, the perception of space again like uh, I don't know why you try to make division between space and and land because it's very much connected in our identity as Palestinians 
the fact that we're disconnected from, especially if we talk about Altira and their like uh, relatives that went like beyond the borders at some point and stayed there. Uh, that's an example of like a lot of villages that are in these like borders that were changed. But when and now I'm really just being giving a kind of personal record more than any kind of. Uh, uh, um, I'm not base, uh, not basing that on any research, but like perception of of of, of space and uh, land have uh, been uh, like uh, not lost, but uh, put in uh, in a higher uh, priority as uh, as result of the trauma of Nakba. And now, we, when we talk about like being in Tire, that doesn't mean that we have this land. And the perception of space that if if I'm in uh, in Tire or in Haifa for my for the uh, that the sake of comparison, doesn't mean that uh, I haven't lost loss of land. And I would refer land as space. I totally agree with you. But okay. here there's a context, a more, a more uh, narrower context, citizenship. Okay. Mm. If you put all this in citizenship, I don't see a full fit. I totally agree with you. On the political level, on the properties, on the, yes. But if we're talking, Yani, could it be a valid argument to say, if I don't own a land, or if I'm not physically on that geographical spot, I might say I don't want any, any privilege of being a citizenship? But the presence in this land is the reason why people are legitimizing this piece of paper mm -hmm. like if this piece of paper allows me to stay in this space and that's a part of like resistance then I would uh, like find my way to deal with this uh, citizenship no. I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, another, uh, another very strong quotation was staying, uh, the, our resistance is between, between brackets staying there mm -hmm. staying there, there is a resistance yes this is the difference between, from my perception, this is the difference between space and land. Mm. Being there does not mean on that mountain or mm. in that. Stay there, yes. But my, it's a personal whole, my whole idea, what, what I'm saying here, what caught my attention, is the, uh, the disappearance of the difference between being there, between brackets, and land. The, the 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 soil the tree the the physical I, I said it's very marginal it's no I don't think it's that marginal to to feminists any uh, the the keywords here is marginal space feminists hello you don't have to go into this no but uh, to be honest with you. Uh, I mean, if you go back to a little bit of the literature on Celtic colonialism, you, maybe there is part of the answer, I don't know, is that Celtic colonialism is like uh, uh, bringing people to become indigenous, mm. meaning that this citizenship is the way people became indigenous, between bracket, the, those trying to make exogenous or, or like a special kind of indig indigenous people, the other ones. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. here you have part of the connection between uh, yes, yes, and no, Stephanie. Yes and no. It, yeah, no. <laughs> for me, for me, a Palestinian living in Ramallah, aside from holding a Jerusalem ID only, mm -hmm. aside from this, 
the whole thing from the title to all what you said, uh, it would be completely different if it wasn't Palestinians in Israel. If it were Palestinians only in general, all Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza Strip in the occupied after the 6th, I would feel, understand, relate to all this completely different than uh, Palestinians in, in Israel. But the feminist experience in the 48 area is distinct in that way. And I, I think it's worth uh, putting the highlight, uh, the, the spotlight on in that uh, uh, in that sense, because uh. also one of the things that they really like one of the first things they will emphasize to you, and I think it's something that these feminists have all in common, is that they say, for us the national and the women's struggle have to go hand in hand. Mm. Yeah. Like, and this is what differentiates. They will say and tell you, and this is what makes us different from Palestinians in the occupied territories. Which mm. is not right. Which is of course not right. Especially because it was so at the beginning of the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, but it's interesting yeah. that they say it. And yeah. I'm sure there's a reason why they say it. And it's very uh, interesting to see how they connect the statement. And why they believe that they have to emphasize this. Or why do they need to make a distinction between themselves and feminists in uh, Palestinian feminists elsewhere. Mm. And what is it has to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. What is the title of your PhD? You know? I can't tell you because I'm still discussing it. It's a no, very tough I mean, uh, Roughly, where are you two? All right, now I'm changing it to something along uh, the lines of Palestinian feminists in Israel claiming citizenship through land, body, and mind. Through what? Land, body, and mind. Land, so, uh, body, and mind. So it because it's you not think much <laughs> It's, no, uh, but you see, the, because one of the things I came across was a lot. Okay, so here's the thing: I don't like the body. Is uh, okay. Other theorizations about the body, I always try to avoid them because I, I don't feel. Why do you avoid the I, concept of I know, exactly I know. your discipline is dealing with? Exactly, and that's one of the things I felt was exaggerated for such a long time. And, uh, but now that I'm reading more and more, more um, literature on indigenous citizenship, which I think connects much more to our context mm -hmm. than. Uh, civil rights in the US, for example, although I like the theor theory behind it, but I, I think the history is very, or the setting is very, very different. Um, yeah, like if you read Andrea Smith, for example, and she really connects the rape of the land and the rape of the woman and how they go hand in hand, and it's very much something that these feminists don't talk about. In general, sexual violence is something that is very much silenced until today, especially <laughs> and also among feminists which is uh, one of my big, big findings, and I'm still working on finding out why that is, but it's very much connected to... Of course, it's not only connected to patriarchal society, it's connected to uh, the setting outside. And, and the, uh, uh, like, uh, the, um, the practice of, of opposing uh, these, uh, or, like, uh, having legal actions against these uh, yeah. uh, uh, crimes is very political in, yeah, in the Israel. Through Israel. Yeah. yeah. And do you have a time frame for the PhD? Meaning a period? No. Maybe not. Just contemporary. Yeah, but contemporary starts beginning of last century. No, I mean... No, but I'm saying this because also when you the momentum, the, the historical period where you are in, yeah. whether it's contemporary, it's an historical period. It's 
now yet. The present mm -hmm. history. So this one, it gives also. I mean, it can give also insight into the type of acts, the yeah. type of you know, mobilization. What are the topics that are crucial at that period, which are completely different than the one you would find ten years ago or ten years ahead. Um, and this also can give you. I mean, if you put a small time frame, whether it's very, uh, it it's, it changes the perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it can help in. Um, even in the political context, you don't I have mean, to... I my data is from yeah. 2011, 2014, but still mm. you need to go back and, especially with this context, you have to historically contextualize it. So mm. you have to go back and see how feminism worked back then. And there's a lot of, uh, I know there's a lot of differences, but there's also a fantastic uh, mm. array of uh, parallels and continuities. I mean, there's a lot of things that are still, there's still a very, very elitist uh, feminist group which dominates the feminist discourse until today, and it's very similar to what was happening even before '48. So I think. Yeah, mm. but it's different. But the, the perception, the way yeah. they will narrate it, is is situated in, in time. In time, yeah. Oh yes, and yeah. That's something since it just came back to my mind. You you said you wanted to dismiss this kind of categorization, but at the same time. Well, I mean, how would you... As a way of choosing people, you mean? Yeah, picking yeah you don't want to sort of have your target group as Benjamin and this kind of things, but at the same time, isn't it that, as we've seen like through your discussion, I was like just observing that this active, active form, whatever you want to call it, let's feminist or what, is actually localized? I mean, isn't it itself a finding, I mean, that the thing is, it's not because you have a lot of uh, movement going on from north to south. For example, a lot of Palestinian feminists who move from the north to the south to the grassroots mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to to help, you know, or to. And it's a very top bottom thing. It's a very. Uh, so that's correct me if I'm wrong, but my needs to be part of this yeah. methodology. That is very important then, and that needs okay. to be appearing somewhere. Um, because yeah, you, you've got yeah. a point here against the main, mainstream understanding, and I think that mm. may you know that make a strong point in terms of, of your course some concerns are local. Yeah, uh, yeah. Some concerns are still local, but the activism is such you can't say this is what's happening here, this is what's happening there, because there is, I mean, it's a small country, so um, with a lot of women's organizations, and they are trying to connect sometimes even through feminist forums and so on. And then it's very interesting to see how they connect and when they do not connect and why. And when they uh, chose to separate yeah, exactly. and counter. Exactly. I wanted to ask you about that, and this I didn't want to open really another Pandora box. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's exactly about that. It's about uh, you because you've been in the, for example, feminist center. You have seen. Do you mean Haifa uh, Sorry. Do you mean Haifa Women's Coalition? Haifa Women's Coalition. It's coalition. But it, the whole thing is the feminist center. So. Yeah. Um, so I'm. Um, uh, uh, where do you stand uh, on the, like, have this, ha uh, no, let me just change, I tried to no, write no, something, okay. um, because uh, it's also complicated in my mind and I can't try to. You mean when they call? Yeah, like the inter, uh, inter uh, sectarian or like, uh, I'm referring to also other uh, feminist uh, 
uh, uh, movement, movements or, or groups that are out of the Israeli consensus. And when, because I see, for example, the feminist movement, part, the leading feminist movement is part of the Zionist movement in, in, in Israel, in the Israeli context. So there are the, yeah. the, like the, the Mizrahi, uh, uh, and there are like um, a lot of people who are out of the consensus. And our experience as activists is that we uh, tend to uh, uh, cooperate uh, collaborate and uh, partner sure. uh, in tactical no thank you in tactical and strategic uh, ways that I think uh, can be learned uh, uh, from when it comes to feminist uh, uh, activism and on the other hand a lot of these uh, uh, joint actions have uh, counter uh, uh, like have, have brought negative results where us as activists really try to go against and uh, um, uh, like like to get out and go against these partnerships uh, so that would be in the in the north in the north would be an easy case but in the south, it would be a much difficult and challenging case where you find uh, uh, Zionist, uh, liberal Zionist, uh, and I'm doing that like yeah. because it's an oxymoron. Uh, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> institutions trying to uh, fund feminist movements or, or like women uh, rights movements in, in the Naqab, as opposed to ignoring the whole context of. Yeah, of, it's uh, a funny question. I mean, you're not talking about NGOs. Well, yeah. yeah, they're NGOs, yeah. and it's about funding. And again, you have this thing, you have these, like, where do you draw the line? And it's always a question yeah. of who's the director at the time, and you know how easily these things change. And about, But still, you know, there, there's, like, clear uh, policy of how uh, their priority, like, feminist uh, uh, activism in the Naqab has very loose, uh, uh, let's say, uh, red lines when it comes to yeah. uh, how to cooperate with uh, uh, like feminist activism in like the Israeli consensus. Uh, that's where we're struggling in. Like, there's, we can't really like put our finger on that and ask for them to have a stand against it because we know that actually it's filling a gap that we are not capable of uh, providing. Pro providing but at the same time this is uh, challenging our whole like feminist mm -hmm. Palestinian discourse in general but why do you think this is the priority no, I'm not saying. It's I mean, it's, does it really matter? And why? You, and now you're doing exactly the thing because you're from the north. You think you have to provide something to the people. No, know? no, no. I'm, I'm not saying that we. No, I didn't mean that. <laughs> no, I meant that. By the way, when I meant, I meant that as like coming uh, uh, organically from the society. So I kind of, if you, when I said that, I meant kind but of. They're already fighting each other in the north for funds. So I don't think that in the near future they will find a way to. But in the, I'm not now trying to like portray an, a better image of the North. Yeah. But like I'm just saying that it's. But more it's a privilege to choose which money to have the ability to choose which money you will take, and not if you're lucky enough to be able. Yeah, to but uh, 
for example, feminist uh, organizations in uh, the north are in the margins of like being functional yeah. because of these yeah. limits, while a lot of funding is going to the Naqab and it's not being filtered yeah. by any means. And that's our worry. It's, and I'm not also, again, trying to uh, blame that. Well, maybe I am a little bit, but I'm like trying to say that I, uh, I, we acknowledge the needs, but we also are uh, trying to see how this is affecting our like uh, movement in general. But I'm trying to understand how uh, was this kind of dynamics. Yeah, uh, not so much in terms of organizations, but you know the, femi the feminist forum? Yeah. It was really difficult to get access to it. Um, so the Feminist Forum is basically a group of... Uh, it's not an institution, there's no place where they meet. It's like a secret club of feminists, <laughs> of uh, every, like any woman in, in 48 who is a Palestinian feminist. And they uh, only communicate via email, electronically, electronically via uh, Facebook a lot. And um, when they started, they started. Um, they, they they were very keen on being independent from Zionist money very very quickly, um, and it's more like a loose sort of group of people who come together and discuss feminism and little projects. It's not like uh, how an NGO would work. So there are no like grassroots projects or anything like this. And still, you have this dynamic. And at the beginning, there were a lot of. Um, women really from all over Palestine, Israel. And now the problem is that all of the religious women have left very, very quickly um, because there's a big, big, big... Um, yeah, I think really that as, like, secular feminists are still dominating um, the main discourse. The latest update and is the political thing. Also this, I mean, this forum really showed that you yeah. can't even bring them together at a table and discuss. So why would you... I'm not surprised about how it's going with organizations. Because yeah. it's, even but if it's did it show up in level, It's exactly yeah. the same thing. Mm. Like all of the poor women left, all of the, all of the uh, women wearing hijab, they left. Mm. Now <laughs> it's even not, becoming I think political. Two black, uh, black Palestinians. Yeah. This. Yeah. It's the same thing. Yeah. Mm. Does somebody want to add something or to ask a last question, last comment? I want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you.